0: Too many things in our lives require too much effort. But when it comes to disinfecting surfaces with the new Clorox Disinfecting Mist, you just spray and walk away. No wiping required. The aerosol-free Clorox Disinfecting Mist kills 99.9% of germs on hundreds of surfaces with an easy-to-use, continuous sprayer. And it comes in two delightful scents with a reusable sprayer and refills that help keep plastic out of landfills. Try the new Clorox Disinfecting Mist today. Use as directed. Rinse required on incidental food contact surfaces.
1: Next time someone needs to send you money, tell them to use Zelle. With Zelle, the money goes straight into your bank account, and it typically only takes minutes between enrolled users. And even if the sender uses a different U.S. bank, it still works. Plus, Zelle is already in over 1,600 banking apps, so you probably won't have to download another one. By the way, make sure the sender has your correct U.S. mobile number or email address so the money goes to the right place. Look for Zelle in your banking app today.
2: I would describe myself... As a commitment-oriented person, I'm very committed to love, goodness, kindness, work that is fulfilling to me, physical fitness, and beyond. I love pushing myself, throwing myself into things that require a challenge, and for my full commitment overall as a person, I think it's very important to have commitment in your life. It shows dedication. Today on Dr. D's Social Network, we have Mr. Kevin Strauss. Kevin's an awesome guy. I would say that he is a committed adventurer. He's committed to doing things that are definitely very hard and embracing the journey and those commitments. I admire that in Kevin. So before we get to our conversation, listen to a little bit of music to get your mindset, get your mind frame right. And then we'll launch into the conversation with Kevin Strauss. believe was the backpacking through Olympia National Forest. Is that what it was? I gotta hear about mm-hmm. tell me like how that idea happened.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, actually, you know, that was my first real okay. backpacking trip. And I did that with a Knowles course. So Knowles okay. N-O-L-S, N O L S Knowles.edu, um, it stands for the National Outdoor Leadership School. They are a spin-off of Outward Bound, which a lot of people have heard of outward bound. Um and I signed up because a friend of mine, his brother had done a Knowles course a whole semester. So he got college credit for it. So for like a entire semester, he lived outside, you know, adventuring in the wilderness. And I was like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. And I always thought it'd be really cool. If you could just like pick a direction to walk and just walk straight, and whatever you came up against, you just dealt with it, right? If it was a mountain, if it was a forest, if it was a river, whatever it was, you just deal with it. Uh, I just thought that would be really cool. So I was looking for a vacation when I was like 29 years old, I think I was 29 or 28 years old, and... Um, and, you know, I heard about Knowles and and his brother had done it and I signed up for a course. It was a three week expedition. So that was going to be 20 nights yeah. sleeping in a tent. And I chose a course. Yeah. And I chose a course that covered wilderness travel, glacial, alpine travel, and then it had technical rock climbing for four days at the end. Yeah. And a little bit of everything, right? And I chose a course, yeah, and I chose a course that was um, that was like a teacher, like an instructor's kind of course, so that it was actually called an educator's course, because I thought, oh, it'd be really cool on vacations from my regular day job as a biomedical engineer to lead expeditions, you know, and take students out on other Knowles courses where I'd be the instructor. So that's why I took this educator's course. Plus the educators course also had an older, um, group of people, most people doing knolls are maybe in their late teens or early twenties. And I was like 28 or 29 at the time. So a a little bit older crowd, you know, um, yeah, so we started out and I remember the first day before we even hit the trail, we had a group. Um, A group meeting. So there were, I think, um, there were two instructors and I think 11 students. And one of the students shared, we were sharing what our concerns were about this adventure that we were going to go on. And he's like, you know, I really want to stretch my comfort zone. And that's the first time I heard about this concept of the comfort zone, you know, these three concentric circles, the comfort zone, your stretch zone, which is where most learning really occurs. And then your <laughs> oh shit zone. We're Nobody all good. That out. We're all good. So you can call it your stress, your stress zone, right? And when you're in your stress zone, you're you're freaking out and you're like way beyond, you know, like what you can deal with and manage. But when we stay in our comfort zone, we're not really doing a lot of learning and growth. Um, but in your stretch zone, that's where the growth yeah. it's, it's hard, it's challenging, it's difficult. But that's where you can really grow, and that has still resonated with me. This was in 1998, so that really resonated with me, and um, it stuck with me ever since and And more recently, I've been landing on this idea that that we are so averse to our stretch zone because it's yeah. uncomfortable, that we're staying in our comfort zone, and I actually believe our comfort zone gets smaller and smaller the more we don't stretch it, stretch into our stretch zone. And, and I think we're really stuck in this pattern of being as comfortable as possible. And we're not growing, we're not learning. And as a species, we're really kind of struggling. Um, so that's just where I am today on that. But back to the backpacking, I'll tell you what, man, that was like one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. My comfort zone was so small when I started that trip my stretch zone was only a little bit further and everything else was my stretch z- my stress zone but by the time i finished that 3 weeks my comfort zone was was so far beyond my original stretch zone my stretch zone was humongous and as you can yeah, see my hands are so like off the screen wide now and my stress zone or my oh shit zone it, it was going to have to be like a tsunami or something for me to be freaking out. Like I felt like I could handle anything because of what we went through in that course. And I'll tell you, there was one day when we got our re ration after the first seven days, we got our re ration. So we got more gear because we were hitting the Alpine area with, um, you know, ropes and harnesses and crampons and pickets and ice axes. And I mean, this is like real mountaineering stuff. My backpack way in 12 days of food, my backpack Whoa, weighed 84? 84 pounds. That was like like 66% <laughs> yeah. of my body weight at the time. Everybody's was like that much yeah. like to their body weight percentage. We needed help. We had to help each other put our packs on because they were so big. Wow. We couldn't even do it on our own. Huge. So that's 1998, you know, fast forward 22 years, and I just was on a backpacking trip only for two nights um, over Labor Day weekend in in 2020. And for the two nights, including all my food and my water, I was under 17 pounds.
2: Uh, Much lighter. (laughs)
1: With everything shelter, kitchen, sleeping, much lighter. So. Yeah, wow. that's just one of the adventures. And how gosh, how far did you so hike much. every
2: day on the twenty days?
1: You know, it really depended on the day and the terrain, and we did a lot of off trail, like bushwhacking travel. So, I mean, you know, a really a a long mileage day might have been like fifteen miles, maybe twelve miles, maybe. Um, but there was one day that that we covered four miles it took us 14 hours
2: was it the elevation like what was it
1: (laughs) because the terrain was so well we start actually might have been seven miles that day but we started out with this well first we had to go up this huge snowfield up the side of a mountain so we had to kick steps there was no trail to walk on we had to kick steps and follow each other it was slow going um and then we came down through a boulder field, so we were rock hopping boulders the size of refrigerators, small cars, rock hopping with, and at that point, the the pack was about 66 pounds or 60 pounds, um, and we're just rock hopping uh, boulders for like three hours, baking in the sun. We only had a liter of water from 8 o'clock until 2 o'clock because there was no water to be found. Um And then at like two in the afternoon, we we could fill up our one water bottle. um, And we didn't get water again until like nine o'clock at night. And um, we didn't get to camp until uh, like 10 at night. So that was a 14 hour day. And we covered like, I don't know, four or seven miles. But we were, you know, sidestepping down a mountain. Again, no trails, just in the brush. So it was just really slow going with these giant packs getting caught on trees and limbs and not knowing where we're going. So trying to navigate and yeah, we had another day that we covered two miles, it took us like 10 hours because we had to fix ropes. (laughs) I know, right. It's ridiculous. We had to fix ropes and um, because it was so dangerous, it was so steep that you couldn't just, you know, go free, you know, like free walking. You had to use a, a line to, you know, balance yourself, steady yourself in case something really bad, like you slipped or something. We had to ferry our packs up like embankments that were like 10 feet high. Um, and again, these packs are in the 60, 70 pound range or whatever. So it's like just putting one pack up 10 feet is is a major effort. So it just depended on, on the terrain.
2: I see. You know? Wow. That sounds amazing. So, like, yeah. What was the hardest day <laughs> out of that 20 days?
1: Um, I'd say the hardest, God, it's hard to remember all the way back, but really, um, it was like the third day, um, that I hadn't gotten my backpacking legs yet. And, and we, we went up this ridiculously steep, long mountain I mean, I thought I, I thought I was just going to collapse. Like it was just, you know, I was so exhausted, and I'm moving so slowly, and I, I was like, I can't do this. Like I I can't do this. And at the end of that day, um, and, and that was time we were we the terrain that we were on at the time. So if you're climbing a hill, and you're gaining like 500 feet of elevation per mile, that's a pretty that's a pretty steep hill. That's like a good effort. Okay. If you're gaining 750 feet in a mile, that is gonna be some serious, serious effort. Like really, really hard stuff. And we were on this terrain that that third day where we were gaining a thousand feet per mile for a couple of miles. Like it was, it was so steep that you know, sometimes you're like yeah, hands and yeah. knees kind of kind of like it's it's really, really difficult. And I was like, I, I can't do this. I can't do this for twenty nights. Like this is this is beyond me. Like I have to quit. You know, like I'm done. You know, and I was ready to quit. So I had a conversation with one of my um, instructors. You know, we we got to camp, and I was in his tent with him, and we were just talking. And I was like, I I, I think I'm done. I don't think I can do this. Like I I'm done. He's like, Oh, are you hurt? You know, did you break anything? Like, no, no. You can't quit. I mean, we're that's not an option you know unless you need to be medically evaced out there's we're in a place where you can't get help unless it's like a helicopter it's not like there's a road nearby that you can like hitch a ride or something we are in nowhere land you know and i was like oh my god like i I have to do this and i wasn't the only one that (laughs) wanted to quit there were like two or three other people that wanted to quit also and we weren't allowed so there's no choice so you you just have to keep going, that's it. Like, it's not like I'm gonna you know break my own leg because um, I'm not at that point yet. But you know there are people in war who will right, shoot to get themselves because yeah. they're like I'm I, I'm done with this to get out of it. Yeah, and that's a real thing. So I thought I was like done. Like oh, I wanted to be done, but they wouldn't let me. So I had to keep going, and. And then that fourteen hour day that I described before was a real turning point and And I sort of had an opportunity to rise to the occasion when other people were feeling worse than me i I tend to rise to the equate the occasion and help them and And I was adamant at the beginning that i I wanted to bring my water filter, and that was like a pound. that's a lot of weight because they were everyone was just using iodine yeah. tablets, so that's like really lightweight. But I was like, no, I'm bringing my water filter. And they're like, okay, you got to carry it. I'm like, I'll carry it. Well, that really came in handy because some of our water sources were like cesspools, like murky, muddy, stagnant, disgusting. Like you wouldn't even want to spit in it. It was so gross. Um, But we had to filter water from that and the filter helped. And on that day, when we only got water at like two o'clock in the afternoon and 9 p.m., so imagine hiking for 14 hours on a total of three liters for the no. whole day. That's not a lot of water. Um, that's not a lot of water. Um, so, um, But luckily, having the water filter, we were able to get water at that two o'clock source because it was just like water in grass, like low-lying grass. So I, we could filter water from there, and we could drink it immediately because with iodine, you have to wait for 30 minutes. But with the filter, you can drink it immediately. And when we heard water at like nine o'clock at night, again we're by headlamp at this point. Um, my instructor and I collected everybody's water bottle. We went over, hiked a you know couple hundred yards to this creek, down an embankment, and we were able to filter water really fast and like down a liter immediately, and then filter it again, and and that was like a saving grace. And and while everybody else was really just you know out of it. I was able to like rise to the occasion with my instructor and get water for everybody else. And, and that was really rewarding. It was a turning point. We made it to camp. We were like the B group because we always split into two groups. We were the B group, like the not as good hikers, the less experienced people, but the A group never even made it to camp that that night. They ended up just bivvying on the side of this mountain that we were Hiking down for hours and hours, so we kept. Wow, of man! I
2: mean, it sounds like you were at a you were at a period of like that was a hard day almost. But then, like because you had no way out, you just had to do it. Yeah. And it's kind of an interesting aspect about life is like you sometimes give yourself a way out, versus if you're just told no, there's no option right? here. You have to continue, and what you can do when you're given no, no option. option.
1: Yeah. And when, you know, um it's funny because after that whole experience, I was telling this this um story and whatnot to um the the president of the company that I worked at at the time and he he had the same the same notion that you just had and he referred me to an old radio show from, you know, back in the 50s or something that he remembered of of somebody who was doing some kind of rock climbing thing or something and climbing without a rope and when there's no option to fail yeah right now sir sure, people do fail but it's amazing what you can what you can accomplish or what you can rise to when there is just no other no other alternative so you you dig deep and talk about stretching that comfort zone. I and, mean, what must you've
2: that been thinking when really he said there's it. no way out of here, man? Like you just have to do it. Did you like go, oh no, what did I get myself into?
1: <laughs> I mean, I think I yeah. wanted to just cry. Like, I'm like how am I gonna do it? Like, I don't I absolutely don't know how I'm gonna do this at all. But, you know with the support of the instructors who were amazing. I mean, ridiculous. Um, and, and being in it together with the other students um, and a couple of people who also wanted to quit and were not allowed to, <laughs> um, you know, we just took one day at a time and helped each other wherever we could and needed to. And, and, if we had a bad day, then we just supported each other. And if we had a good day, you know, we celebrated. And um, and day by day, we each got stronger and more confident and more supportive. And quite honestly, after that sixth day, um, that 14-hour day, the next day was a rest day, um, which is good. Um, but after that, I was like, oh, I can do this.
2: Yep, yeah, that's can Im- do it. it's incredible. What you said sounds like life to me. You know, you have good days, you have bad days. Hopefully you have people to support you in both of those things. It's just a good lesson for life, it feels like.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we can get that support, um, I-, I think that's what life is really about you know, that, that love and support and connection. And it doesn't have to be romantic love. It's, this is the support of the instructor, the support of fellow students going through the same thing that you're going through. Um, yeah, yeah. I really think that it, it is an amazing lesson and don't, don't get me wrong, man. There were still some really tough days and I'll tell you about another really tough day real quick. i oh, um, we got plenty uh, of time. How long our conversation's <laughs> going to be today. Okay, cool um is uh so we were it was it was way further on in the expedition and we were summiting mount oh, olympus wow. so this is you know a mountain summit and and mount olympus is not very high it's it's like i don't even know is okay it like that's not that thousand feet. Yeah. like it's not it's not very high no it's not even where like where like altitude sickness really even comes into play it's, it's just not that it's not really an altitude issue where oxygen's a problem. However, we still had to start at like midnight um, and get all our gear and everything. And we had a whole section of like glacier, glacial travel. So where we were navigating in rope teams of like three or four people, we were navigating crevasses. And these crevasses would you know, like you would fall down like 50 or 80 feet, like and and die, you know? But we were on rope teams. So if one person falls in, everybody is self-arrest, which is basically you dig your ice axe and crampons into the ground, and then you work out a whole pulley system to get them out. So we had to do all of that, you know, first, and then we had to climb up all the snow fields and everything. There's no trails or anything like that. Uh, this is like real mountaineering stuff. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, it, it's really serious stuff. Um, and if you have to, like, go to the bathroom, <laughs> you can't unhook from your rope team because if you if you – if you fall through like a rope, uh, like a snow bridge, like again, you could be,
2: yeah, you know, yeah, in a crevasse, yeah.
1: like and die. You know, so if you got to pee or poop or whatever, if the ladies have to drop their pants, I mean, it's it's you know, it's a whole thing. But anyway, so then we get on to like the cone, and it's it's this horrible, rocky, breaking apart, terrible rock, not solid rock. Like you you, you grab something and it kind of pulls off the you know it's it's all crumbly and it is freaky because because stepping from the snow or ice to the rock you have to cross a a crevice, yeah, basically yeah. and because as the as the rock heats up the snow melts away like we've seen it you know after a snow after you know, snowfall and everything the the rock heats up the cement heats up and the snow melts away so a gap creates well we would like throw a rock down that gap you didn't know where it stopped i mean it would go 100 to 200 feet and we were stepping from the ice to the rock with no rope at this point so if you fell like it's over that's it like that's it like i don't know how you're yeah it's over you know So we do that. We get on the rock and we're doing this pseudo rock climbing kind of a thing with no ropes or anything. And we're not in rock climbing shoes. We're in like hiking boots. And um, sorry about that. And um, it's really scary. Well, okay. So now we're starting to hike up the cone to get to the summit. And, you know, we're on this like knife edge of a, of a ridge where on one side, you, you know, you'd bounce, a couple times off the rock, and then you're down in that that yeah. area between the rock and the snow, another hundred feet or whatever, and, and die. So you don't want to fall that way. And if you fall the other way, it's like a four thousand foot drop, like it's basically like a sheer cliff. And you're no rope or anything. And me and this one woman, we were just straddling, sitting and straddling that because we were taking a little break. And it's like, okay, it's time to go. And I'm like. Both of us are like, you know what? (laughs) We're done. We're good. We don't need to go to the summit. I am not putting myself in any more danger just to get another 200 vertical feet higher to be at the summit. And that's where I learned about myself that it's not about the destination. I don't have to be a peak grabber. I don't have to get to the summit. For me, it's about the journey. And the journey of this. 30 of this um third what did i say it's um 20 night expedition where we covered i think we covered like 65 miles i think total which is not that much really um to me it was all about the journey and now when i when i do backpacking i don't have to get to the summit for some people they want to get to the summit okay great that's for you for me, I'm about the journey. I want to be out there living that life day in and day out. And, and I'll just transfer that right over to, because a few years later, I got into triathlon and eventually did an Ironman triathlon. And again, to me, it's about the journey. I like the right. day-to-day training, the right? The race, the, the actual doing Ironman is only one day. And and I'd read an awesome article in Triathlete Magazine that that had a perspective on Ironman that, you know what? You're training for like a year. The, the race is just one day. Treat that as a celebration of all your training, not as if I don't do well, right, right. my life is meaningless. You know, it's kind of a thing. Yeah so so that's what i i love that perspective and i like the training and um because gosh if you don't like the training (laughs) i don't even know why anybody would do it because it's it's it's, yeah it's awful
2: yeah you know i it's a lot of work so much of athletics is about just getting through the training in order to get to the event and the performance at the event and i love the attitude of just embracing the training because I, i grew i was a collegiate track and field sprinter, you know, when you're sprinting, you don't spend much time actually competing. It's very tiny a bit. You're like literally 10 seconds. It's like, oh, you do. It's so fast, right? And even the day of the, like the event, you're warming up for like an hour to run for a very short amount of time. So it's it's not very fulfilling unless I guess you're winning all the time and stuff or this and that, but you spend an inordinate amount of time just training over and over again, just getting out there, I think sometimes if you end up hating the training you really have lost a lot of the goodness that happens in that journey and it sounds like that's what you are equating yeah. that to yeah.
1: yeah 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 the journey and and loving the training and no. uh, it's not always fun you know but overall you know in, enjoying that and and those those little day to day um yeah. wins you know, that you get and, and the lessons you learn from, from it, not going well and not having a good day. And how can I, how can I do a better? So I do have more good days than bad days. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah now were you,
2: program. when you'd finished the, the 20 days where you're like, there's other things I want to do now. I want to test myself some more. And so was the triathlon, like, this is my next step in the testing myself.
1: Um at the time I well gosh let me let me pause a moment um I think a lot of it was was some of that testing but some of that exploring like wow I've got this confidence I know I can do things let's let's give it a go and and it actually before I even did my first triathlon So 1998 was the Knowles course, and so again, shout out to knowles.edu, awesome stuff, right? Um, And then in 2001, I did a self-guided trip to Alaska up on the northern slope of Alaska. So it was me and two other men, Um, one was a Knowles alumni and the other was his nephew who had already hiked the entire Appalachian trail. And then he kept on walking up into Canada because apparently the 2000 plus miles of the wasn't enough walking for him. Um, <laughs> right. I know. Cause it keeps going up to like Nova Scotia and stuff. Um, so the three of us did a self-guided trip. So we didn't have any expert person or anything with us. And uh, you know, got a bush pilot dropped us off literally in the middle of nowhere. Um, So we were like 100 miles north of Arctic Village, Alaska. And Arctic Village, Alaska, is like 10 miles north of the Arctic Circle. So we went another 100 miles, dropped us off in the middle of nowhere. And in three weeks, we were going to get picked up by the pilot on the banks of the Arctic Ocean. So we had to get there somehow. And in the meantime, we had to find a re-ration of food along with a raft and a rig, because we were going to do a week of backpacking and then two weeks of rafting along the Hula Hula river that empties into the Arctic ocean. And the Hula Hula river is, has class four rapids. So the rapids are actually like class three. Um, but since the water temperature is so cold, it's like 35 degree water temperature. Cause it's all just glacial snow melt. Um, you actually up it a level to class four. So basically if anybody falls in, you immediately have to get them out and get them warm. So like, cause also, you know, you're not going to have leg function or be able to tread water for too long anyway. So that was that whole trip. And it was right after that trip that I did my first triathlon. And, you know, it's funny. um, The idea, I was doing a lot of rock climbing at the time, you know, which, which happened after the nose course. And, you know, it's fun to just, go on adventures, see what you can do, explore. And the only reason I got into triathlon is because a friend of mine asked me, hey, do you want to do this triathlon? I'm like, no, I don't know how to swim. And right, and she's like, oh, come on, come on, it's only a half mile swim, let's do it. I was like, okay, sure, fine. Whenever it's time, you let me know and I'll, I'll do it with you. Well, I forgot all about it. And like seven months later, She's like, hey, it's time to register for this triathlon. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, you said you would do it with me. I'm like, oh, man, I made a promise. So I registered with her. And I was like, well, I better learn how to swim. Because, I mean, I knew how to tread water. And I knew how to, like, breaststroke. But you don't want to do breaststroke in a triathlon. <laughs> like, it's going to take forever, you know. So, So I committed to learning how to swim. So I spent, I mean, this is, I was 31 years old and I always had like a problem equalizing the pressure, like my ears and my nose and and like how to do that. So a buddy of mine um, was a really great swimmer, grew up swimming and everything. He took me to the pool and at 31 years old, we just practiced sitting on the floor of the pool blowing bubbles, like that's how we started. And, And I started just doing like 30 minutes of breaststroke And then I would do like one length of freestyle and it was horrible. Um, You know, it was terrible. Like a turtle trying to get air, you know, it was like, you know, and um, I'm acting it out here. And, and then so I do like one length of, of freestyle and then three lengths of breaststroke and I would do it for 30 minutes. And eventually after committing to going to the pool five days a week for two months straight, I didn't miss a single day. I could do 30 minutes of freestyle. It wasn't pretty, but I could do it. And and so I was ready for the race. So then that was June and July. And then in August, I went on that Alaska trip. So I didn't bike. I didn't run. The race is in September and we go to the race and they canceled <laughs> oh, the swim. Oh, spent all that
2: time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> they canceled the swim because the water was too rough. It was an ocean swim, so they did it as a duathlon. So it was a run bike run. And I was with some rock climbing friends also cuz we cuz that's when the eco challenge, which is an adventure race, was like this big popular thing. It's funny. They just started it up again. Amazon Prime, like, yeah. Amazon Prime or something yeah. right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what really was the start of triathlon and making a promise to this friend. Oh, and then my friend who got me to sign up didn't even do the race because she got sick.
2: Wow. You Wow, what a deal, man.
1: So... It's ridiculous, right? So then, and we figured we'd do the road race triathlon first before we go off-road with the whole Eco Challenge thing. And then, but then I didn't get to swim, right? So I was really upset. And so that was in 2001. So then in 2002, or early, later in that year, 2001, I heard about the Columbia, Maryland triathlon. And I live in Columbia, Maryland. And the start finish is like a mile and a half from my house. So I was like, "Oh my god, I'm going to do that!" Well, it turns out that's an Olympic distance race, and the the first triathlon we were going to do is a sprint distance, so it's it's definitely longer. Um, but I was like, "Oh, I'm totally doing that race!" So I signed up for that. I could train on the course, and then I actually did my first real triathlon, where I did swim, I did bike, and then I ran. That's and fantastic. So you feel like you're
2: you enjoy these kind of large commitment based things like really like seeing what you can do is that kind of been a theme of your life
1: yeah yeah i'm really good with commitment um sometimes it might take me a little while to make a decision on something like i need to process it maybe for a few days a few weeks even a few months um but once i make a commitment that is a done deal like like we were you know we set to to talk at 2.30 today, boom, You're on I it, was man. right on, you know, <laughs> 2.30, exactly. we're ready to go. So I just, I value commitment. I value, integrity is something I, is one of my highest value traits. So if I say I'm going to do something, it's as good as done. You can always count on that. Um, so In the same way. Yeah. Very similar. Yeah. Yeah. And challenging.
2: Yeah, I want to test myself, but mm-hmm. I wanna but I want Yeah to with be, your athleticism. I want I wanna be committed to several things deeply. Like when I'm in it, I'm gonna do it. So like when I started my podcast, it wasn't like, well, I'll do a couple episodes here and there, or I'll do it like once a month. I'm like, oh no, no, I'm gonna put out a lot mm-hmm. of episodes. It's gonna be a lot and i just keep chugging and so it's funny when i talk to people about it they're like how many episodes have you done i'm like i'm closing in on 200 and a little over a year they're like what (laughs) i'm like yeah i just like if i'm gonna do it i want it to be like amazing and push myself and talk to a lot of people man that's just how i'm built you know
1: yeah Yeah, and then it's so rewarding because you know you're you're pursuing something you're passionate about, you're fulfilling it in a way that you value. You know, and other people might value something different and that's fine, but this is what you value and and that's the reward and and that's awesome. And and then you get the following, your consistency, you know, is helps so much in this in and I'll be honest, that's why I am not going to do a podcast because I don't want to put the kind of commitment right, right. that you do. You know, I see how much work and effort it is. That's, yeah, just I think that's me.
2: totally fine. Yeah. I mean, you have to find the things you're into. Oh, yeah, kudos to, um, you. to do that. Now, I know this is probably going to sound even more interesting. I think, is didn't you tell me you were like a ballroom dancing champion or something like that as well? Or, I mean, there's other, you're doing a lot of stuff, man.
1: I, <laughs> you know there's so much fun (laughs) stuff to do in the world like you know i don't i'm 51 years old and i don't even feel like i hope my life is not even half over i'm i'm shooting for 110 or 120 there's just so much fun stuff to do and i don't want people to think everything is wonderful and great like i'm an entrepreneur it's really hard i'm having a tough time it's difficult you know but I believe in it, so I I keep going, you know. But um, yeah, yeah, I've always liked dancing. I can remember even like when I was seven years old, um, the first songs that I ever danced to were, and, and this is on oh. real to real. That's how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> it was "Crocodile Rock" by Elton John, and "Saturday Night" by the Bay City Rollers. Those are the wow. first two songs I ever remember dancing to. I know, right? I'm, I'm old. Um, so I've always liked dancing. And and I'll tell you what, you know, through like junior high and high school and college, you know, it is awesome being a guy who likes dancing because <laughs> it's true. you're with all the women. Like <laughs> no other guys like dancing. So it's me and like 12 <laughs> women. I, I, what's better than that? You know? so um yeah. i'm down with it you know of course then i probably dance a little like a girl but whatever that's okay just dance however you like um so yeah so one day a uh you know a friend who's in the ballroom dancing was like hey what are you doing it was like a sunday and i'm like i'm not doing anything oh, it's uh, doing oh it froze for a second there
2: yeah i hear you No, it's good are you yeah. hearing
1: me oh okay um okay cool so so this one sunday you know i'm talking to my friend she's like what are you doing today i'm like i'm not doing anything what's going on she's like oh there's a free ballroom dance class at at gw university down in dc she's like can you be here in like an hour i'm like yes so i just you know jumped in my car went down took this free ballroom dance class and i, I liked it I, I was terrible you know i was just horrible um but it was fun, and I didn't care about messing up or whatever, because that's part of the fun too. I just embrace being terrible, and um, and she's really good. So then she's like, you know, giving me lessons, and and then I started going to that regular Sunday class because it was free and fun, and and uh, then you know, eventually there was a competition that was coming up, and I, I didn't really care about the competition, but I was like, you know, it's hard to find males you know dancing so it's hard to get the male female couples so i was like you know if any woman wants a wants a partner if they don't have a partner then sure i'll I'll partner with them and i'll dance with them but i don't really care about the competition um so there was a a, a woman who needed a partner i was like sure you know i'll do it so we practiced some and my friend gave us some private lessons which was incredibly helpful um so we go to this ballroom dance it's called bam jam at University of Maryland it's every year in like April so we were only dancing for 2 months that's it so there's the lowest level of like comp- competitive ballroom dancing is new level newcomer 1 and then there's newcomer 2 and then there's bronze silver gold and then you're getting up to like amateur and pro and those kind of levels so newcomer 1 means you've been dancing from 0 to 6 months and newcomer two is you've been dancing from zero to twelve months, so you know we're so beginner, right? But we enter the the international standard. So as newcomers, we only had to dance waltz and quickstep, as opposed to the full spectrum of standard of international standard, which is waltz, quickstep, foxtrot, Viennese waltz, and tango. But we only had to learn two dances because we're beginners, and um, and we ended up getting second place. This is about of like 30 couples. We got second place in waltz, second place in quick step. And we got second place overall. So we got second place. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. And then at lunchtime, um, again, my friend is like, Hey, Kevin doesn't have a partner for, for Latin, which is another style of dancing. Does anyone want a partner? And some, College students, like, I'll dance with them And uh, I'm like, okay. So we practiced for like 10 minutes. And I already knew these, you know, it was cha cha and rumba. I had already known them a little bit. So we practiced for like 10 minutes and we ended up getting second place in rumba. And I think second or no, maybe first. I don't remember. It was, we got second place overall in Latin. And there were only about 14 couples in that. So, yeah, so we do pretty well and got our ribbons and all that kind of stuff. And it was fun. And yeah, but I haven't really <laughs> it's, it's, But this. it's
2: a testament to like you just trying things and, and putting yourself out there and being open, which uh, is a beautiful thing.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you know, trying things and not being afraid to fail. And And I think part of where that comes from is I can't think of a semester in college where I didn't fail at least one test. I mean, I'm used to I I fail all the time. You know, like I I just, you know, like it was hard. You know, I studied really hard, but I was a mechanical engineering undergrad and it's hard. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to fail. And you know what? I'll take it back even further. I'll take it back further. When I was in eighth grade, I used to get horrible migraine headaches and go to the doctor, you know, what's, what's the cause, what's going on, all this kind of stuff. And, and we couldn't really figure out the cause, but I used to get like so stressed out about, about school and about studying for tests and getting good grades and, and, and try all that. I would get so stressed out. I think that's, what the root of my migraines was back then, so I adopted this attitude where you know what, fuck it, you know if I fail, I fail, fuck it. I'm not stressing out about a stupid test anymore because I'm I'm literally these migraine. People have had migraines; right. it's yeah. debilitating. And once I stop, once I stop stressing and just accepting, like you know what, if I fail, fuck it, I failed, and and I, I stopped Amazing. having migraines. Yeah, after that. And I think, you know, that's what I attribute it to. So just like if I fail, I fail. And I'll just try again something else. And if it still matters to me, I'll keep trying. And if it doesn't matter that much to me, then I'll stop trying. And I'll (laughs) do something else. It
2: sounds so simple, right? I mean, it's kind of a, it's interesting. Like I love the, you have to embrace kind of being bad at something when you first try it. You know, I think sometimes we're so self-conscious about like, I look dumb doing this or I'm not good. I'm like, well, what do you think you're going to be like amazing the first time you step out and try anything you've never done before? It's You're going to be pretty bad at it. It's okay. And if you stick to it, you're going to get better. You're You're going to be be terrible
1: probably. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I know a lot of people who won't go bike riding with me or won't go rock climbing with me because they're afraid of being bad. I'm like, I, I don't care if you're bad. I, I sucked when I started rock climbing. I was terrible. You know, I got good. You know, I mean, when I started triathlon, it, when, when our wave would happen for the swim, because you start in the water or well, you start with the swim, I would get in all the way the back of my wave of my group of people because I knew I was so slow. I didn't want to get trampled by everybody but by the so I'd start in the back let everybody go and then I'd start going but by the time I was finishing my like tri career which I haven't done a triathlon in a couple years now but I would get in the front I'd be like in the front line because I'm one of the top people coming out now because I'm a pretty good swimmer now you know so yeah you just keep practicing at it but like you said we're afraid of looking stupid we're afraid of of You know, and this is where I really come down on fear because, you know, we talk, fear is talked about all the time. Yeah. In, in, like, at work and at home and all the fear, 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 fear. Right. And, and, and I get really like frustrated because we're not identifying what the fear actually is. And until we identify that fear, I think we're going to really struggle to, to overcome it. And the fear that I believe we're dealing with now, we're not, it's not physical, it's emotional. And you already said it. You said fear of looking stupid, fear of not being good. Those are emotional fears. Those are not physical threats. They're emotional threats. It's fear of being judged, fear of being shamed. There's fear of neglect. And then there's fear of rejection, which actually those first three really all fall into a fear of an emotional rejection. And, and for centuries, millennia, if you are rejected from the tribe, that's basically a death sentence, but we are not afraid. Okay. Again, first world countries, you know, most parts of America and, and so on. We're, we're not af- like, if I walk into a meeting at work, and I don't want to speak my mind, what am I afraid of? Am I afraid of getting punched in the face? No. Am I afraid of you know getting shot? No. I'm afraid of being judged. I'm afraid of losing my job if I disagree with my boss. And that's a very real fear too, because now I can't make money. Now I can't provide for my family or myself. I don't have food. I don't have shelter. Those are physical threats. But the real fear, it's not a mental fear. It's not a fear of, Oh, can I not do an engineering drawing? You know, can I not do a a test report? Can I not come up with a protocol? Can I not come up with a marketing plan? My mental ability is fully intact. I can do those tasks, but I'm afraid of being judged or being shamed in some way. And that's the fear. It's emotional. And those fears are often completely valid because Mm -hmm. we've experienced that pain in the past. We've been judged or shamed in the past, and we don't want to feel that pain anymore. So we avoid it at all. Yeah, costs. most
2: definitely. No, I, That's my little take. No, here. you're totally right. I think that we've we're very, very much completely afraid of what people will think of us. Emotionally, it's kind of like you know, with public speaking and stuff. You know that there's people that they fear public speaking more than being physically injured by someone. And it's a real phenomenon with people. And Mm -hmm. but always say that even though if you don't open your mouth, you don't try things, you don't move forward, then the answer will just be no because you've never started anything. And you wanna know, you're gonna get no by doing nothing. Exactly. You will get a definite no by doing nothing. And so you have to at least begin the journey. You know, it's kind of the whole cliche thing, you know, a journey of a thousand miles begins at one step. But well, it's kind of really true. It's like the first day you do something, it's a reason, right? It's a cliche for you a reason. You're like, okay, I did that today. <laughs> yeah. Didn't feel that good. Wasn't that great. I mean, you come back again and then you start seeing a little bit of progress and then it starts pulling you like, I am getting a little better. And And so much of life is like that. You can take almost anything in life. And just begin it. And you're not going to feel great about it, maybe. And it's just just keep on going. Just keep going. Be consistent. And you're going to see something.
1: Well, it, yeah, it's zone, pushing exactly. you into that stretch zone. It's uncomfortable, you know? It's uncomfortable. That's real. It's just as long as it's not overwhelmingly uncomfortable. And just a little bit uncomfortable. It's only that little step outside. And then you might, if with a success you're likely to try a little bit more of a step outside your comfort circle. But if you, like you said, if you never even try or take that first step,
2: be you're nothing. not really going to get anywhere. Well, Kevin, I really appreciate you spending time with me today, you know?
1: And failure. Yeah, outside. of course. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. I oh, know no, I talked so much there, but um, yeah, you opened up a lot of fun memories that I haven't thought about in a long time. So that was super fun. Thank you for that. Yeah, of course. Appreciate
2: it. Of course. No, I just think the stories are amazing and hearing you tell the stories, that's what's that's what's great at least for me, is I like to have a platform for people to tell their stories and to watch and hear how excited they are about things. Or on the other end, how difficult it was and, you know, the the pain behind it. Either way, it's your story and it's important. So
1: Thank you. Of course. I appreciate that. Well, listen,
2: thank man, um, we'll be in touch and I look forward to other people listening to this.
1: Awesome. All right, awesome. man.
2: We'll be Sounds in touch.
1: Good. All right, thank you so much.
2: So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Because I know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching. And finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called The Donut, or the dose of news useful today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine. And when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally, a daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences and it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about. And it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else. It's your daily reminder that there is good in the world even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. So get the donut, stay informed, it's 100% free. You can unsubscribe anytime, visit the donut.co or text donut to 66866 to sign up today.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the rate and review section. Thanks, everyone.
0: Too many things in our lives require too much effort. But when it comes to disinfecting surfaces with the new Clorox disinfecting mist, you just spray and walk away. No wiping required. The aerosol-free Clorox disinfecting mist kills 99.9% of germs on hundreds of surfaces with an easy-to-use continuous sprayer. And it comes in two delightful scents with a reusable sprayer and refills that help keep plastic out of landfills. Try the new Clorox disinfecting mist today. Use as directed. Rinse required on incidental food contact surfaces. How about we heat things up tonight?
1: Mm, How so?
0: Get a little fresh. Add some steam, sizzle, and spice.
1: (laughs) Wait. You're talking about going to Outback again, aren't you? Fire things up at Outback Steakhouse. For a limited time, try our bloomin' fried shrimp or get fresh with our new strawberry salad. Go big with our bone-in ribeye or the filet and grilled shrimp on the barbie. Then cool off with a cucumber crush or peanut koala.
0: Try them all before they're gone. Let's Outback.